Again, my name is Matthew. If we haven't met, I'd love to meet you. I'm one of the three pastors here. If you're new to the Bible or Christianity, um, I am so glad that you are here with us this morning. We love Jesus here at Refuge. We love his word. And every Sunday, we want to teach from the Bible. It is our authority. We want to hear what Jesus and the Holy Spirit wants to say to us. Sometimes that means that we go through uh, studies through books of the Bible exegetically, and then other times in very and, and oftentimes, there will be the, ch the chance that we go through topics in the Bible. Primarily, we go through books of the Bible. One of those times that we are now going through a series just kind of looking at Advent and what that means, and we figured all that out last week, that it is from the word that means coming or arrival. And so we are in this anticipation and the season of anticipation of looking at the arrival of Christ when he had first appeared to us. And you can find that in uh, the first parts of the Gospels. And also there's another anticipation. There's another arrival that we are anticipating as believers. And that is the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ to consummate all things and make all things right in its finality. Luke chapter 2, verse number 8. It's going to be on the screen for you. Luke chapter 2, verse number 8. You guys there? All right, two of you. The rest of you just find us as you go along. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were fear, filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, fear not, behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You'll find the baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased." When the angels went away from them into heavens, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see these things that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying at a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up these things, pondering them in her heart, and the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told to them. Before we dive into this and before we get into any further, let's pray over the reading of God's holy word this morning. So God, we thank you, we love you, we worship you, we adore you, God, and we come before your throne of grace and we ask that, Lord, that you would help us and uh, let your word illuminate our hearts. May blind eyes see this morning. May dead hearts come alive in Christ this morning. May you be glorified above all things. And maybe there's somebody who came in here this morning looking for some divine word. Thank the heavenly Lord above that we just heard the word of the Lord over our hearts, God. And may you be glorified. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. 
Now, I want you to flip over to John chapter 12, but before we get to that, this is kind of what we were anticipating from last week. If you remember, what we have been walking through is this, uh, for, for a couple thousand years, there were these promises and there were these prophets who were speaking about this great and mighty king who was to come. Here's the fulfillment of it. Christ came, the king has finally arrived, but boy is this problematic because this is an unusual way to announce a king's arrival. You know, if, if you're the PR person for God, which I don't think there is such a thing, I don't think God needs PR, but this is a, in, in marketing, we would, we would tell the people, this is bad PR, we do not want to go to shepherds to announce that a king has come. Why? Well, shepherds were nomads. Shepherds were, you know, kind of like burly men and likely, and maybe this is conjecture for the most part, but for some parts, what we know about shepherds is that these guys were just dirty jokers. All right, they were the ones that were smoking the cigs and, you know, had the beer in their hand, proverbially. I don't think they had beer, but, you know, just imagine this, though, this scene. Like you are a shepherd, you're telling your dirty jokes with your friends, you're out there all by yourself, you know, you're, you know, and then suddenly these angels appear. Now, they're afraid for two reasons, in, in my opinion. They're afraid because why on earth is the Lord appearing to them with his messengers telling them this great news uh, that the king has arrived? Why would God use these people? Why would whomever has come up with this plan, concocted this plan, that finally, for the thousand years I've been telling you that this king is going to come. The king has come, but here's how we're going to tell the people. We're going to go to the nomads. We're going to go to the dirty dudes. And we're going to announce it to them. It's an uncommon people. And I would suggest it's in an uncommon way to announce an arrival of a king. And you got to think about this. Like when a king would arrive, you think the first people they're going to tell is the folks who are out roaming around in the fields with sheep? No, of course they wouldn't. Now, that's the first reason they're probably startled. The first reason being that why is God coming to us, you know, and then the angels come and they got to go hide the cigarettes. They got to go throw the beer. That's what my beer is, his beer. And so, and then here's the other reason why they're afraid. And here's the other reasons why the angels said, do not be afraid because angels were terrifying. Our view of, in fact, I got a picture of you of what, what one biblical account of what an angel would look like. All right, so just imagine one of these figures appearing before you. You think you're going out there like, man, that's a really cool looking figure. Please tell me more about this announcement. No, there's a reason why when angels appeared to people, they had to say, do not be afraid. And that, my friend, is the reason why they had to say, do not be afraid. <laughs> this is probably an accurate depiction of a cherubim. It's a you could probably, people, the nightmares are probably, you could probably take that down because the nightmares are going to ensue upon you and you could thank me later and you could email me at dan at refugecitychurch.org. <laughs> and so, and so, but regardless, God chose these weird, uncommon people to announce the good news of Jesus. Literally, the sky explodes. Angels, these creatures appear heralding this good news. Here is the good news of the kingdom of God. The king has arrived. And so this, this is what they've been longing for 
Ever since the promise in Genesis chapter 3, when, when the Lord told Eve that I would, someone's going to come and he's going to crush the head of the servant, it's the fulfillment of the promise that he made with Abraham that through your line that all people are going to be reconciled. And so the angels appear to them and they make good on that promise and they're still uh, in sync with the promise of God, the good news for all people. And I just love that because it's not like the angels like, all right, good. this is the good news just for you. Or this is good news just for Israel. No, this is the good news for all people. And God picks these thieves, these nomads, these, these weird people to announce this cosmic announcement that I'm, I'm here. Now we can we can di- we can kind of get dive in on the, and, and ask questions like well why did God use this particular way of, of addressing uh, his arrival and, and maybe this is again more conjecture but maybe it's because that some of these people who have been longing for Christ and his return uh, maybe have just kind of grown a little apathetic in that and be like well maybe he's not even going to show up and maybe that, and that's just one one instance that we maybe can just kind of think of think about maybe it's because some of the people were just more consumed with the idea of a messianic uh, militant leader coming and so it was more about what this promise could do for them instead of what the promise and who the promise was actually about and again like i said all that by way of passing could be just be conjecture of why god chose to use this way of announcing to these kind of people. But the point is, the big point is, and the big idea is, God fulfilled his promise. That all the things that you've been anticipating and all these things you've been waiting for, the king has come. Now, I ask you to flip over to John chapter 12, and, uh, and I'm going to pick it up in John 12, verse 12. Again, this is going to kind of go along with this theme of how is it that God chose these shepherds and then, you know, and then everybody else misses this important announcement. And then it kind of begs the question then, is it possible for us to miss the king and his arrival? Is it possible for the world that we live in today, our culture, to miss the king for who he really is. And, and I would suggest, have you watched the news lately? Because obviously the answer is yes. It is very possible to miss who the king of kings really is. And so here's a story that just goes right along with this where people have this anticipation of the king and there's very uh, kingly language in this and the reason why I chose this. So John chapter 12, verse 12 The next day, the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. And Jesus found a young colt or young donkey and sat on it just as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's Cult. His disciples did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written about him and had been done to him. The crowd had been with him when he was called when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead. 
continued to bear witness. Verse 18, the reason why the crowd went to meet him was that they heard he had done this sign. So the Pharisees said to one another, you see that you are gaining nothing. Look, this world has gone after him. Now, let's be dead honest. Here's the king and he's arrived. Let's be honest. For us as Americans, the idea of a king is non-existent. We don't like the idea of a king. Right? Any, anybody read your history? We fought a battle against a king. Hello? Is anybody really American in here? <laughs> king George III? We don't like kings. So what do we do when a king comes? Well, we'll, we'll revolt. Why? Because this is America. That's what we do. Right? Imposing taxes on us. You know, trying to shove the king's religion down our throats. No way, baby. So the two colonies, the colonies against the British, they revolted against the king. And you know who won, don't you? Because we're sitting in here and ain't never one of y'all British. We're Americans because we don't like kings. And it's fascinating how we have this ingrained into our civilization, into our nation. But the, but the one thing that we all need, yet we are fully unaware that we need, is a king. And then, by the way, I'm not talking about King Charles over there up in England right now. You know, Americans have a fascination with royalty. Not this American, because I'm a real American, Okay. Real Americans don't have fascinations with, with royalty, okay? But, but for the most of y'all, I know y'all ain't up to my part, but you'll get there. You, you, you love the idea, right? It was, it was so fascinating to me that when Queen Elizabeth died, all of the news media was like, all of the American news outlets were focused entirely on this. And I kept thinking to myself, we fought a revolution against this thing. Why are we focused on this rubbish? That's an English word for you. And don't, don't give me the scouring eyes. I know all of you are into, well, most of you, because I am not into the Netflix series, The Crown. My wife watches it. You'll have to pray for her. I've asked her to repent, and I'm not going to participate in watching that garbage. But she watches it. Is why? Because we have a fascination with royalty. And yet, for some reason, we don't want this royalty to lead us. We just love the, the idea of it. And I bring this up to us is because that's where we are as a church. And I'm not saying this church. I'm saying the American church. We have a fascination of a king. But we do not want to bow before the king. We do not actually want a king ruling over us. We do not love the idea that Paul said to the letter of Philippians that every knee will bow and confess that Jesus Christ is king. Because it's ingrained, and in, here's the reason why it's ingrained us, is because we love our will, we love our own way, we love our free will, we love all of these things that are ingrained in us as Americans. We love the idea of it, but we do not want to submit to a king. It's, it's in our time together that I want to show you from this passage that this is likely what's taken place with the children of Israel. 
not specifically to the people who are in this crowd screaming, Hosanna, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. But it is the story of Israel. It is the story of Israel throughout the Old Testament wanting their idea of a king. And because they had their preconceived ideas of a king, they missed the reality of the king of kings coming to them. It is the reality of Christ finally coming, finally there to wage a war against, not Rome, but against the greatest enemy, which is sin. And yet the reality that most of Israel, all of the, most of the religious establishment would miss the king of kings and the reality of his kingship right in front of them. Jesus just left Mary and Martha's and Lazarus' house the Pharisees had grown a little disgruntled with this boy, Lazarus, because of what had happened to him, that Christ had literally raised him from the dead. And he's out ushering in this message of the King Jesus. And so there in the context that we find the triumphal entry, and by the way, which we would likely celebrate on Passover, or not Passover, but Palm Sunday. Palm Sunday would actually coincide with Passover feast. The historian Josephus uh, would write in his um, historical secular documents about what a normal Passover would look like. And he writes before the Jewish war when Rome would siege and take over and destroy all of Israel. thus fulfilling Matthew 24 and in Mark chapter 13. Josephus would write that there would be at least around 2.7, I don't know how these guys are counting back in the day, but millions of people. And just assume maybe that that number could be inflated. It can't be passed that there were insurmountable amounts of people that were there every time that there would be Passover, this Passover feast celebration. And from this text, and I think what I can just kind of summarize all of my thoughts around this idea of this arrival of a king, that it is possible to miss the king because sometimes the king doesn't look like what we want. The palm branches from Palm Sunday, they would have this symbolism and used as celebratory and victory. It was a battle cry. It was a battle that we have won this victory. We've won this battle. The shouts of Hosanna in the Hebrew meaning to save us now, which had been an expression of praise. This had been, could have been likely, and we think it was, a shout of nationalistic praise, a hope that the militant Messiah has finally come to rid us of the oppression from the Romans. If you know your Gospel of John, you know that, that he emphasizes the deity and the royalty and the kingship of Jesus Christ. And here is the only Gospel that accounts for the Palm Sunday, this, this Passover, where people shouted, blessed is the King of Israel. The crowd's exaltation of Jesus riding on a colt wasn't necessarily seen by the disciples till after his death, burial, and resurrection. And this moment was probably the, the heightened moment of Jesus Christ. In fact, this is John quoting the Old Testament in Zechariah's prophecy. Listen to Zechariah 
He says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Listen to what he says. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he. Humbled and mounted on a donkey, on a colt. I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the war horse from Jerusalem. And the battle bow shall be cut off and he shall speak to the nations. His rule shall be from sea to sea and from river to the ends of earth. As for you also, because of the blood of my covenant with you, I will set your prisoners free from the waterless pit. You, you get this? The king will come. And what happened? The king arrived. Now you got to wrestle with this in your own kind of walk with the Lord. Because some of you are still waiting and still thinking, well, Jesus has no rule over us right now. I would venture to say that you've misread your Bible. Now, don't you talk to me like that. You know, this is Sunday and I brought a guest with me, right? Like I know that that was like, no. Listen to me very carefully. The promise of the king was for the promise of the king to come. And the king fulfilled the promise and he arrived. And here, here's what I'd, I'd press on some of us is that we think that, well, you know what? Well, just look at the world around us. Like there, he is not reigning. Like there's no king around us. Like, no, listen, Christ the king, all authority has been given unto him. All authority, not some authority, not a semi-authority, all authority. And we know he's ruling and reigning. Our small group has been going through the book of Acts. And we went to one of my favorite chapters uh, this past Sunday. Where we looked at chapter 7. Where the first martyr, Stephen, was stoned to death. And I know this sounds grotesque. Why is that your favorite chapter in the book of Acts? Because what happens to Stephen? He looks up and the heavens open. And the glory of the Lord appears. And Jesus gets up off his throne and stands up. Which is the implication that the king is seated on his throne. Except for that one moment where he got up to receive the first martyr. The first witness into the kingdom of heaven. The king is seated on the throne. I want you to get that. Because in your eschatology, in the study of in things, that's going to play a huge significance to it. Because I think some people are so just kind of badgered into their end of the world that it's so woe is me and it's just like this doom and gloom as if Christ isn't ruling and reigning right now. You've got to reconcile then with your eschatology that yes, he is ruling and reigning right now. D.A. Carson, a fabulous theologian. I'd recommend you reading some of his stuff. He wrote on this account of John chapter 12. He writes three things about this. First thing he writes, the coming of the king is associated with the end of the war. What war are we talking about? Rome? Oh man, that would have been really nice if you were an Israelite in Israel at this time. If you were a Hebrew, if you were a Jew, boy, that would have been nice. Like, finally. But that wasn't what Jesus was doing. The war that needed to be waged was the one that you and I could never win on our own. The war with sin. He says, secondly, the coming of the king, this Jesus on the donkey, is associated with peace to the nations. 
Not peace to a nation, but peace to the nations. That all nations could experience the peace of the rule and reign of Christ. And thirdly, D.A. Carson writes, The coming of the king is associated with the blood of God's covenant that spells release for the prisoners. That the king on the donkey spells release for those who are in captivity to their shame, to their past, to their sin. All of those things will be broken from you upon receiving the reconciliation of Christ our Lord. Now, this leads me to then a question that I see here, and I see that as I study the Old Testament, I study the New Testament. Again, is it possible to miss the king? And I think some 2,000 years removed from this writing from John, I think the question still poses itself to us in a culture that has everything at our beck and call with right now being one of the wealthiest people on the face of the planet and the history of the world. Is it possible to miss Jesus as the king? And the obvious answer is yes. And the reason why the answer is yes is because of our preconceived ideas of what Christ was supposed to do for us. So the question then, as you see, I have many questions this morning. Is he a king? Or I like to, um, when I'm in the St. George Small, I like to go to the chess board with my youngest. He has no clue what he's doing. And so obviously I use that to my advantage. And I destroy him every time. <laughs> it is a lesson of number one humility. And I think that's the only lesson that ought to be learned. And then... In front of the who's of the who's of chess are the little pawns which are supposed to be killed off first. And I think some of us have misplaced the idea that Christ is not a king. He's a pawn. In other words, Christ is here to give me what I want him to give me. And of course, we're not going to say it like that because that kind of sounds very strange, doesn't it? Oh, dear Christ, my pawn. Right? We don't pray that. But listen to our prayers. Oh, God, give me this. Oh, God, give me this. Oh, God, give me this. Oh, God, establish my kingdom. Expand my wealth. Expand my influence. Do this for me. Now, again, I'm not talking to you spiritual folks because none of you would pray that at all. But as I observe American culture and American Christianity, it is likely many of the prayers of the saints today. Why? Because we have a misconceived idea of who the king is and what the king does. Christ is not our pawn. Christ is, as I have loved to say in the past, and it often gets me in trouble sometimes, Christ is not the genie in the bottle that you rub and then poof, out comes the blue man. And ask you, what three wishes can I grant you today? But this is some of our ideas of Christ. And I think it wouldn't, it wouldn't be conjecture for me to say that many of the Israelites, they missed Jesus because of that. We don't want a Jesus who's going to rid us of our sin. I'm fine in my sin. Right? Isn't that how we live? 
I don't want to be convicted of my sin. I don't want to be brought out of my sin because that means I've got to change my lifestyle. That means I have to lay aside things and, and kill things. And we know that the Israelites missed him because that's, that's what they did. They wanted Jesus to come and give him things. And this is kind of the idea of American Christian TV. If I could step on some toes. Be a better you. Christian books. How to become your best self. Live your best life. And on and on. It's like self-help. But they've attached the name of Christ to it. And it's a, it's, it's a sham to think that God would come down just to give me a beautiful life that, oh, don't look at me with the scouring eyes, that I deserve. I deserve this life. I've put in the time. And I don't know, maybe that's not you, but sometimes that's my prayer. Like, God, I've done enough for you. It's about time to rain down some blessings. And then the Christian TV and the Christian books would want you to believe in it. But the primary reason and the only reason that Christ the King came was to destroy the head of the serpent. That is by way of saying he crushed sin. Your biggest dilemma isn't needing more money. Your biggest dilemma isn't needing of the bigger house or, or a better marriage or better kids or just insert the blank. The greatest need that we all have is to be rid from the sins that we have been born into by our nature. It's entangled us. It's blinded us. It's, it's caused us to be dead. I mean, Christ comes with his rule and reign and destroys sin on our behalf. Now, the question then is, how do I know? How do I, what does that then look like? If Christ is my king, what does that look like that I am following after the king? And not following up some kind of made up looking Jesus, you know, like the, as if, like I said, like as if he needs some new PR as if, you know, this Jesus we've been reading about and this guy you keep yelling at me about is irrelevant. The Bible is irrelevant. I had somebody come in this place a couple of years ago and they told me, well, I don't know about all this stuff you're talking about because the Bible is irrelevant. And I just kind of shook their hand and said, okay, I don't, I don't know if you'll make it here because we believe that the Bible is truth and our authority and it's not irrelevant. You know, it's an idea though, right? It's an idea that we all think through. Like, well, well, maybe you know, this whole idea of Jesus is just irrelevant. And so we need to, we need to remake him in, into this like new, new guy. Like, let's give him like the PR booze. Let's, let's give him a makeover, right? Let's make him look more better. I don't know if more better. That's like what we'd say in the South, right? Let's, let's make him more palatable to culture. Man, we, because, right, we want to reach all these people. And so dare we, you know, bring to the conversation that they've got to repent and believe and bow their knee to this Jesus? Oh, no. We've got to make him more, you know, like cool. And like he's my, you know, back in the 90s when I was being raised up, 
in church. I don't know how I made it, but I did. It was like, you know, Jesus is your homeboy. Jesus is not your homeboy. He is the king. He's not waiting for you to vote for him. He's not waiting for you to, you know, he's not waiting for just one person. Oh, if I just have one person, you know, love me or whatever. No, he is the king. Right? You don't have to love him or not. He's the king. You don't have to submit to him or you do. It doesn't matter. He's still the king. So what does that look like? Well, he answers that right after this. So they go. They move off from uh, this story of the Passover. And I don't have this for you. Just kind of follow along on your own in verse 20. It says this, and this is just by way of closing, and I'll, I'll, I'll be done in just a moment. Now, among those who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks. So these came to Philip. Again, this is John chapter 12. Who came, who, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee and asked him, sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew. Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus and Jesus answered them. The hour is not, the hour has come for the son of man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it. Whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor me. So watch this. Jesus is your king. How do you know? What is he saying? Is he saying, whoever hates themselves, whoever ends your life, whoever drinks the Kool-Aid? By the way, I'm a weird person, and sometimes I say things that get myself in trouble, and this is one of those things. I have a, I have a mug with Jim Jones on it, and it says, drink up. Uh, but you'll have to pray for me, because that's kind of the way I am. Uh, I didn't buy it for myself, by the way. One of you bought it, and, and it just shows what kind of people you are, okay? I'm a good, you, you need help. Yes, I do use it. Don't judge me. Okay. So is he saying, what is he Is he going to Jim Jones? No. What is he saying? Stop being the king of your own life. Stop thinking that you are the Lord of your life. Stop thinking that the world revolves around you and that you are the point of the story. Stop thinking that the Bible is about you. Stop believing the lies of the culture around you that you do you, like make much of you. Jesus is saying, if you want to follow after me, you want to know what looking like submitting to his lordship looks like? Mm, it's bowing before the king. It's serving the king. And Jesus doesn't share his glory. He is the eternal king. What do we do with this? That's the question. What do you do with this? And why, I think, again, I go back to this question. Why? 
Why is it that so many of us miss this? Why is it that so many of us will miss this whole fully devoted obedience, sacrificial love to Christ the King? Well, I mean, I think we could list about a hundred things, but I think one of them could be comfort. One of the things that I think could be apathy. Comfort. That we're comfortable. That we're comfortable with how we live our lives. We're comfortable with there's people with needs around me and I'm not going to do anything about it. We're comfortable with that. Christ is calling us to give our all, to give everything that we have. Another way to frame this question is, what are you doing with your life? What are you doing with your life that has eternal weight to it? What are you doing with your life that has eternal significance? That means something that's, that's outside of you? What are you doing with your life that is outside of you, that holds eternal significance? That's the question. When you die, when you breathe your last breath, are people going to say of you, that person submitted, lived, sacrificed for the king? Is Jesus your king. He is king now. And whether we like it or not, he is the king of the universe right now. And he demands and he is and he is the one we submit our lives to. The king arrives. The people miss it. But the question is, will you miss it? And the prayer is that you won't. <laughs> 